This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. No more bullshit, was there or wasn't there a woman? Are you serious? Yes, I'm goddamn serious. Fuzzy Wuzzy was a woman? What the hell is he talking about? He reads lips, you're talking too fast. Hi, Read lip more 80s podcast. That's a George Bush senior reference for all you young people that don't that have not seen Dana Carvey in SNL because he's been gone for like 30 years. But anyway, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of 80s Revisited. I, of course, am your host, Trey Harris. With me, as always, the hear no evil to my see no evil, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. Because if you hadn't guessed... By the, the description on the podcast, we are cover, continuing our Black History Month by celebrating uh, a film of one of the greatest, if not the greatest, comedians of all time, Mr. Richard Pryor. And I think uh, one of, honestly, I think one of his, one of my favorite Richard Pryor films, to be honest. Of course, all of his films with Gene Wilder, they were such a great team. Uh, but this one, when I think of Richard Pryor, pretty much like a Superman three in this movie, to be honest with you, aside from his stand up which I cannot repeat a word of it on this podcast, but more on that in a little bit. But anyway, see no evil, hear no evil, May 12th, 1989. IMDb gives it a 6.9. Rotten Tomatoes, however, critics, 28%, which is Mm. baffling to me. Uh, However, 72% audience, which I can much, much more get along with and agree with that rating. $18 million estimated budget. Uh, I guess you can kind of see it. <laughs> I guess that was the salaries for these big name, uh, you know, the the, uh, the duo of Wilder and Pryor and everything and some of the locations, I guess. And, you know, a, a young Kevin, the disgraced actor Kevin Spacey as well. So, however, it did open at with $7 million and was number one at the box office for not one, but two weeks when it came out. And it would domestically go on to gross $46.9 million. So, you know, big question is big success. Doubled its budget at least. Why did we not? Why did? Why didn't we get see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil? Mm, no, no. Good question. Damn shame. <laughs> uh, that's because it. That's because it wasn't what it is now. To where you made money, sequel. Go, 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 go. Right. Although I mean, it worked in the horror genre in this time frame, but not necessarily. You know, comedies. I mean, Ghostbusters only had one sequel. And that was what? Like Ghostbusters two was like five, six years later, and then uh, what's another comedy sequel that came out in the eighties? I had another one in my head, but I it came and went. Just as fast. Anyway, mm. there were a couple, but you know, <laughs> comedy sequels weren't too big in the eighties. That's compared to like every year you're getting a Friday the Thirteenth or a Nightmare kind of thing. Uh, you still really aren't. I mean, every now and then, The Hangover. What we, we were talking about that off the air. You know, that was a series that had what three sequels, two sequels, I, I believe. There were three of them. You know, pretty quick. Uh, but that's pretty rare for the most part, off the top of my head, at least. I'm, I'm sure some people are screaming at their car radio or their iPhones, like oh, you forgot about this. That's because I'm fucking old. Give me a break. <laughs> anyway, directed by Arthur Hiller. He did Love Story and Silver Streak, which is probably my most watched uh, Pryor and Wilder, Wilder team up because uh, the television station Encore, which I don't think exists anymore, the premium channel, it was the $1 a month or $5 a month premium channel back in the day when everybody had cable and not streaming services. So like, oh, mom, it's not like a dollar a month. Let's get Encore, please. And she got Encore. <laughs> well, that's where I watched, Pre- like pretty much they played Predator, The Poseidon Adventure, and Silver Streak, like at least once or twice a day. They didn't have that many movies to watch. Mm-hmm. So I would watch pretty much those three all the time. And always really liked Silver Streak, although there's a uh, inappropriate uh, blackface moment, I think, wouldn't fly yeah. these days. Uh, 
in the film. Uh, however, uh, he also did this. Arthur Hiller has been directing so long. He actually directed an episode of the original black and white Adams family. So he's been around, was, uh, was around for a while, but I do believe he's passed. Uh, it was written by a ton of people. Uh, Earl Barrett, Arnie Sultan, Elliot Wald, and Andrew Kurtzman and Gene Wilder, uh, Wald and Kurtzman. They did, they worked on SNL previously. The other two guys, nothing really of note to be honest with you, but Gene Wilder was brought in when he finally agreed to do the movie more on that on in trivia, but, uh, on the condition that he can rewrite it to star with Pryor in it. So he kind of like, you know, no being such a good friend of Richard Pryor's rewrote parts of the script to make it more their tone, I guess is what I'm looking you know, like to fit their dynamic, their, uh, their chemistry, uh, for that. So cinematography was by Victor J. Kemper. He's a veteran of the podcast because he was also the cinematographer on clue, but he also mm. did Beethoven, Tommy boy and the Arnold Schwarzenegger Christmas classic, Jingle all the way. So he's, he's got some good stuff to him. I wouldn't say he's like a, a visionary cinematographer. He's no Dean Cundy. But, uh, you know, he's, he gets the job done. I guess he, he really fits like that comedy aesthetic, I guess, for like cinematography. You know, mm -hmm. everything's, everything's nice. Everything looks fine. Uh, nothing in here too flashy. Uh, the music was by Stuart Copeland. He worked uh, on South Park, the movie, uh, Rumblefish, Highlander 2, and the 80s classic that we'll eventually get to someday on the podcast, Wall Street, but with stocks being down so low, and I look at my Robinhood account, I don't really <laughs> want to talk about stocks right now till we get on the upswing again. But anyway, starring again, uh, almost, almost. I mean, you, whenever you talk about comedians, the greatest comedian of all time, like Richard Pryor, is always in that discussion. If he's not number one, he's at least number two. Uh, but starring the late great Richard Pryor as Wally, of course, veteran of the podcast with Superman three, uh, teamed up with Wilder before. Uh, such a great duo, Stir Crazy, Silver Streak. Uh, there was another film. I they, they did one film after this. I don't remember the name of it, but that's the one I haven't seen. But I got pretty panned. But I don't really don't believe that with them two together, it could be bad. Uh, he was also in The Toy, which was filmed in our hometown of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and Brewster's Millions. And of course, iconic and genre-breaking, defining uh, stand-up comedian. And, of course, also starring his partner in crime in this, Mr. Late, and also great, Gene Wilder as Dave. Of course, everybody knows Gene Wilder, Willy Wonka, uh, Young Frankenstein, and Blazing Saddles, of course. Which, all, which Blazing Saddles was written by Richard Pryor with Mel Brooks, and he was supposed to play uh, the sheriff in uh, Blazing Saddles, but the studio would not ensure Richard Pryor to be in the movie. So that's why Cleavon Little took on the role of the sheriff. Uh, mm. And also disgraced actor Kevin Spacey as Kurgo. Of course, uh, Usual Suspects, Superman Returns, uh, Seven, you know, great actor, but uh, not a great human being. Uh, and the incredibly beautiful Joan Severance as Eve. Uh, she she was a model, obviously. You can tell by the way she looks and honestly the way she acts. Uh, didn't do mm. too much. Uh, some sort of some TV every now and then, I believe, but mainly she was in the Hulk Hogan quote-unquote classic, uh, No Holds Barred. And uh, Bird on a Wire with uh, Mel Gibson and uh, uh, Kurt Russell's white, uh, partner, uh, Goldie Hawn. Mm -hmm. uh, Alan North was Braddock. He was the detective, which we heard a little bit of in the beginning. He always plays like cops. Uh, he's in Lean on Me. He was in uh, Glory with uh, Morgan Freeman, Denzel Washington. And in Highlander, he was pretty much the same character he is in this movie. He was the cop. Like, we got to find these guys cutting people's heads off. <laughs> you know, kind of very, very like character actor, but very specific. Like, we need, a, we need an older cop who's going to like scream at his underlings and you know, about whatever's going on in our movie. You get Alan North. 
the other his uh, partner, so to speak, in the film, Anthony Zerb or Zerbe, not sure how you pronounce it. He was Sutherland. He's been in a lot of stuff. He was in the Dead Zone. Actually, I'm, I'm sorry, not that's not his partner. Anthony Zerb was the old guy at the end, the blind guy. Sutherland. He was in the Dead Zone, Omega Man, Matrix Reloaded. He's one of the Council in Zion. In that, if you see his face, you'll recognize him. Uh, Louis Gam- uh, Jambalvo is the one I was thinking of. He's Gallon. He was the other partner. Uh, he was in the Deadpool, which we've covered on the podcast, and Real Genius. So he's a two-time, two-time, actually with this, three, three-time veteran mm-hmm. of the podcast. And last but not least, George Harris. No relation. He's the bartender in this, but he was a recurring character in the Harry Potter series. He was in Layer K with Daniel Craig. And uh, what I remember him from, he's the boat captain in Raiders of the Lost Ark at the very end. Very small part, but he tries to uh, keep Marion away from the Nazis at the end when they uh, board the boat and load the Ark onto the submarine. And Indiana jumps on the submarine that thankfully doesn't submerge the entire time it goes to its the Nazi island hideout where they open the Ark. Uh, but yeah, great character actor there as well. And that pretty much rounds out the main cast and everything. So as I mentioned, this is the third, this is three in the trilogy, even though there's four of them of the Wilder and Pryor team up and third crazy is fantastic. I forgot that was in the eighties. Otherwise probably would have done that one since that was their first, uh, get together, actually their second after a uh, silver streak. Uh, and then this one. And then, like I said, there's one other one, I think I want to say it's like called hanky panky or it's got a weird name. I can't think of it, but uh, talk about the one in the nineties. Anyway. Yeah. The, their That's last team up movie. You. Another, okay. Yeah. There we go. Something, it was something different. <laughs> anyway, silly title. I was way off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I haven't seen that one, but I need to, I need to catch that one just to see, uh, see all four of them. But this is a film that like, I never, I never saw this like actual movie, like the real version until much later, because this film drops more F bombs than, <laughs> you know, this is up there with Scarface. How, how many F, I mean, just, you know, more F bombs an episode of this podcast when I get on a, you know, a emotional <laughs> kick about something but uh yeah so i mean I, I remember as a kid seeing this on tv a good bit a couple of times recorded it because oh silver streak and uh, as a the, the crazy thing one of the craziest things about richard Pryor was i mean he, he had a crazy life uh very interesting life we'll get on to that into that in the back to the future segment a little bit later um but you know my introduction to richard Pryor was superman you know like oh in the, in the toy and those kind of like his family quote-unquote family movies you know i had no when i when i heard his stand-up for the first time as a young man i was like oh my god what the fuck am i listening to <laughs> jesus christ and it's amazing i mean it's it's profane it's he's i mean he's you know he's he would be canceled today i guess you could say you know i mean it's he's he talked about everything uh, much like many comedians did but you know in a humorous way uh, which you know it's open to interpretation i guess these days so, but, you know, as a kid, I always, I loved Richard Pryor as a kid, but I never knew Richard Pryor. I knew the Superman three Richard Pryor and the toy Richard Pryor. And then, you know, any movies that would come on critical condition that would come on TBS or whatever, you know, I, I never knew him for like his stand up until much, much later. And then when I actually saw these kind of movies <laughs> that he was, you know, his, his R rated comedies, not edited for television many years later, it was like, wow. It's like, it's like when you, you know, a lot of people had, Shot, were so shocked when they learned that Bob Saget, rest in peace, uh, you know, because of his super squeaky clean, goofy, wholesome image on Full House. When people found out he was a dirty comedian, it was like, sh- sh- like what? What? No, he was doing that before Full House. Tim Allen was doing dirty comedy before Home Improvement. You know, a lot of that's where a lot of them come from. He was in you know, jail. When somebody's a stand-up comedian, <laughs> oh yeah, that too. Cocaine, <laughs> cocaine's a hell of a drug. 
you know, uh, honestly, in terms of, like the big comedians that I could think of, I mean, Jerry Seinfeld might be one of the few that might be, you know, pretty clean. But I mean, you know, you look back in the past, Bill Hicks, uh, Red Fox, George Carlin. Uh, well, actually, Bill Cosby, you know, eh, can't really mention him these days. But, you know, he was pretty clean, uh, you know, compared to like Richard Pryor and a lot of the other stuff, you know. So but anyway, you know, my introduction to Richard Pryor was like his is always it was always like I love Richard Pryor as a kid. I was, he was like, oh, he's so funny. He's, he's just great. And then when I found out about the real Richard Pryor, I was like, he's a fucking genius mm-hmm. in terms of his comedy and everything. But anyway, this film, yeah, saw it as a kid, you know, immediately loved it just because, you know, it's it's it, it, they're the chemistry that they have, Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder, is absolutely undeniable to me. It's just, uh, you know, it's like uh, what's one of the big duos in film history, you know, Burton and Depp. I'm being facetious with that one. Even though, you know, that is one. <laughs> but uh, uh, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, you know, like the, the big classical pairings, uh, Scorsese and uh, De Niro, you know, right. that's director and actor. But, you know, like acting duos that do well together. Like they're honestly, they're one of the, one of the best duos out there. Uh, they just, they perfectly, and it, go watch their film, go watch Star Crazy, go watch Silver Streak. Can't speak about another you cause I haven't seen it. Watch this one. Uh, it's just, it's undeniable just how, how good they are together. Uh, so it's, it's, this is, you know, despite again, and they were in comedies in the seventies and eighties. So is everything they say correct or, you know, you see today, blah, blah, blah. No, but oh, well, yeah, I'm sorry. We're a woke podcast, so absolutely. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I'm, I'm kidding. That's the last episode. Uh, but anyway, you know, it's uh, like this is it's uh, like I think this one, I think Hear No Evil, See No Evil might be my favorite in terms of just how kooky's the wrong word, but I think it conveys what I'm trying to say. It's just, it's so, I mean, it's almost Blues Brothers esque in it's the kind of craziness that happens because. Gene Wilder can't hear. Richard Pryor's blind. And and honestly, like, they both, like, uh, getting ahead of myself but in the trivia, like, Gene Wilder, you know, went to a school of the deaf to learn how deaf people act, you know, learn about it. And uh, Richard Pryor did the same thing with, you know, the Braille Institute of Los Angeles, where he learned, like, different techniques. And it shows, like, uh, you know, I believe that he can't see. He's, it, it's, I think, in my opinion, you know, obviously anybody can disagree with me. I think it's a very convincing portrayal of a blind person and a deaf person. I think like that. I think they convey that pretty well. Now, I'm not blind or deaf, so I don't mean to speak for anybody that's blind or deaf who might have a completely different interpretation of it. Obviously, because they know better than I do. But I mean the the way they work in, you know, their. Uh, I mean, is handicap the right word to say there uh, for that? You know, their disability, their handicap into the comedy. You know, I think there's a. Because one of the biggest things about this movie when it came out was, oh, it's making fun of deaf and blind people. More on that in the trivia. But again, from my perspective, and I'm a white cisgender male in California, (laughs) so, you know, I'm not blind or deaf. But to me, it's very, from my perspective, when, again, uh, you know, if I'm ignorant on anything, please let me know and and, uh, email at agevisit.gmail.com. But it, it comes across to me as very genuine. They're not making fun of it, but they're putting these characters who have these disabilities in these crazy situations and making it work. I mean, of course, you will, blind people should never drive a car. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I think there's a line between like making fun of somebody, but then also like portraying them in more of a 
you know, when, when's the last time you had a hero in a movie? Well, aside from Daredevil, <laughs> that doesn't count because mm-hmm. he could basically see yeah. in a sense. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, uh, I, I, you know, today this film might actually be praised for having representation as opposed to when it came out of being in the 80s, which is shocking. You know, being more so disregarded for making fun. And Gene Wilder was refused this role three times, two times before he finally took. He took. He accepted on the third because he was kind of worried about it. May, you know, poking, you know, crossing that line. And uh, again, kind of spoiling the trivia, but uh, one of the the deaf people, one of some of the deaf people he was talking to was they told him like, remember, and this is a quote that Gene Wilder mentioned in his autobiography. It was like one of the people told him, you know, people with handicaps do have a sense of humor, so it's okay, yeah. you know, there, there's things that are okay with it. But uh, you know, so uh, I don't see. I mean, I can understand why people could have that argument. Watching the movie just last night again and enjoying the hell out of it as I always do, I don't think that i think that's a little i think that's a little, uh, reaching a little too deep maybe there's one or two jokes that yeah if, if you go if you analyze it joke by joke maybe there's some that might fall into that category but personally again my opinion i think it's you know i think they handled you know these characters they're not stupid they're you know they're with what they do with their disabilities like you know one o'clock two yeah. o'clock you know i mean it, it's it's pretty in, like again I can't think of another duo off the top of my head immediately while talking right now that could pull something like this off that has that chemistry for what this role entailed to like, you know, he's got to be Wilder's got to be Pryor's eyes and Pryor's got to be uh, Wilder's ears, you know, but it's, it's, it's really well done. And, and they make note of it. Like Wilder, if, if you're, if he cannot see your mouth, he doesn't know what you're saying. And if Richard Pryor can't hear you, he doesn't know what you're, you know, he, he can't locate you. Uh, so I, I, I really think it, it's almost like a delicate, uh, dance so to speak Uh, for example one of the parts that cracks me up so much and i I honestly i forget about it until i'm watching the movie but the gun showdown at the end where both of the blind guys got the gun right and they're looking they're like they're listening and it's like you know and now neither of them have the glasses on you know i mean so like their eyes are open but they both acted so well to where like i mean they're missing each other by an inch (laughs) like in that in that scene it's i'm like rolling laughing it's so good it's, I, I mean, personally, again, my opinion, I, I just, I find this movie works so well. And honestly, I think it's very, very underrated uh, for how funny it is. Now, again, you know, there's obviously some inappropriate jokes these days, but not, a, there's, a, there, we, there, that's still shot <laughs> of the, of the, I mean, that, that scene is so, I'm just, and that, the, it's, it's well directed too. The direction complements the comedy very well. So definitely, definite props to Arthur uh, Hiller, Hiller, uh, uh, very well, you know, choreographing like, you know, the, these antics, so to speak. But yeah, uh, all I've always enjoyed this movie. I think it's underrated. I think more people should see it. I think it deserves to be on more like lists of funniest comedies from the '80s kind of thing. And there, there's no shortage of funny '80s comedies. Don't get me wrong, but I think this is one that's often forgotten. You know, which which is sad because, you know. If you say Gene Wilder, 99% of people probably think of Willy Wonka immediately the first thing in their head. You know, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not saying I'm the 1%, but I mean, that's, uh, you know, that, that is his iconic role. I mean, it's a meme. He's a meme. He will live on as a meme forever mm-hmm. for it, you know, in addition to being one of the greatest performances in film history, in my opinion. Uh, you know, and Richard Pryor, you know, because he's been, you know, he passed away in like 2005, I think I have it in my notes. Yeah, 2005. So he's been dead almost 20 years and because uh, – go to his Wikipedia page, which I recommend anyway because his, his life story is fascinating. Uh, you know, but – and 
you don't really hear a lot of his stuff because of the language in it, to be perfectly honest with you. And if you wonder what I'm talking about, go look at his discography and look at the names of his, his albums. I can't say them. Uh, more on that in a little bit, too. Like uh, his personal like beliefs and all that. Like I said, I, I find Richard Pryor a very fascinating uh, character from everything, you know, you know, one day we'll have a good biopic with him about him and hopefully it'll turn out pretty well because I think there's a great story there to tell. Uh, tragic, you know, he's very Pagliacci, so to speak. Uh, you know, as often as the case, the ones that are the most funny are the ones that have the most problems and uh, stuff like that. So there's one but anyway, works, Jesse, as far as I know of. Oh, uh, really? Any, any, um, any like uh, hints of a uh, caster? I think the director anything? is the one to, that does uh, Blackish or something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, but who could. Yeah, who would who, who do you cast? Yeah, I don't know. Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, written and directed by a uh, blackish creator. All right. I mean, well, Dave Chappelle. I'm I'm I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to think like who who too could old. carry. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, you got to do so. I mean, most of his most of this, I would imagine, would be in the youth, and then you just yeah, age you the to, actor. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Who? I'm just trying I don't to think know. offhand. Isaiah Washington, maybe. Denzel's son. Uh, that uh, actually, what did I just see? Oh, uh, the, the dude. I, don't, I do not know his name. He's a young guy, but he was great in Scream. He was like the the, the new Scream. Uh, oh, I've seen him in this one thing, so I don't know his acting chops. But I'm, I'm just trying to think of young and upcoming actors that might be in the consideration for it. Uh, yeah, knowing these guys are Mason Gooding. Yeah, because he was he was fan like his character in the new screen was great. I was like immediately again spoiler alert like when they were show that he does survive like me and Autumn were like oh like I think we're so glad that he did. Uh, <laughs> great great character, you know. Uh, who I'm just trying to think because uh, I mean again we're you know Jesse we always, when we think of actors we all think of our the ones we've known since we were kids. We're trying to think of like the younger ones. Yeah, I don't know. It'd have to be someone with a silly side, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, because you gotta have the comedy chop. Somebody's gotta have drama, but also right. that comedy to to carry it. Because I mean, like, and let's be honest, a movie that could, this movie is gonna be Oscar bait. Sure. So yeah, it's got you know, the one thing going forward on that end, I would hope, is that they really give find somebody that just can carry that role. Which I mean, that's gonna be the most important part, obviously. But uh, I kind of cut you off there. I'm sorry. What were you about to say? Well, this was also written October 2020, so mm -hmm. usually they would move pretty fast on these things. I don't know. I don't know if it'll ever happen. But mm. well, of course, pandemic yeah. started in 2020, so. But yeah, you gotta have yeah. those Richard Pryor eyes, like we saw in this movie. See no evil, hear no evil. Oh yeah, like the whole time <laughs> he's giving his freaked out Richard Pryor yeah. eyes. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's very. I mean, yeah, exactly. You gotta. You can't have somebody with you know beady eyes like me, uh, right, or calm know. eyes like um, like Michael B. Jordan. Passed you know across my mind, but yeah. I'm like, I don't know if he has the eyes uh, does, for it. It really does I mean, come down to the eyes, expressive eyes. Like that's what you're, they're gonna have to find. Yeah, I mean, Michael B. Jordan could be Steve Harvey, but he can't. No, he can't be <laughs> Richard right. Pryor. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, like, it's a very good point. With like you know. Especially, and like you said, that's a really a very, very astute observation because in this movie, especially his performance in this movie, I mean, he's wide-eyed. I mean, he's blind, uh -huh. but I mean, he's wide. He's literally wide-eyed the whole time. But you know, I, I, I believe every second of this movie that he's bl blind. Every time he runs into a wall, 
it's so it's that it's that it's that genius comedy that you kind of see in Ghostbusters. I'd say Three Amigos, where your cast is filled with comedians who can act, as mm-hmm. opposed to actors who are acting funny. Yeah, and it just carries through because they know how to get a laugh. You know, and I mean, just when he runs into you know, it's it's so well done when they're walking side by side, and he you know, Wilder forgets that he can't see, you know, and and then the the Wilder playing that if he can't see him, he can't hear him. You know, I mean, it, it's so well, it's I like honestly, like seriously, if you have not seen this movie, I highly, highly recommend it. I find it so funny. Of course, I don't want the kids to be in the room because f bombs like right out of the gate. I forgot how dirty <laughs> this movie was with the language. <laughs> But and uh, yeah, Jesse and some nudity. Yeah, some <laughs> nice nudity. <laughs> but uh, you you watched this and was it you watched it for the podcast too? Was it your first time watching it? What'd you say when I think I it was? I can't remember. Yeah, I think it was. So I don't recall you got seeing it before. You get to be a Daniel. I get to be a Daniel. That's a that's an <laughs> old reference to this podcast. First fifty episodes or so. So, what a, did you think about? I'll give a Daniel answer. Yeah, it was all right. <laughs> Nah. Oh, okay. You can't elaborate, Daniel? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay, anyway. I don't think he ever did that. See next but... <laughs> time. You're like, no, he never did. We're teasing. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it, actually. Um, it helps that I really like the actors. And um, it was weird seeing mm-hmm. Kevin Spacey in there, though. I will say that. Just mm-hmm. knowing what his future held. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, it'd be like one of these movies where... Someone who murders O.J. Simpson in The Naked Gun, for yeah. example. Yeah. You're just like, oh, there's a murderer catching a baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in the defense of The Naked Gun movies, he gets his ass handed to him in every one of them. Yeah, that's so true. It's a little easier to watch him when he when Nordberg is going down the stairs and flipping over the rail and all that. And always ending up in a full body cast by the end of the right. movie. Right. So. There's a little justice there, I guess, but uh, I see what you mean for sure. <laughs> but that aside, I mean, it was good. Um, yeah, it kept my attention the whole time. I really enjoyed nice. it. Yeah, and you know, and that's the thing. Like, I, I knew I was trying to, you know, I am with movie links. So I was like, pretty sure this is trying to plot it when to watch it. You know, between Violet going, putting her down at night time, at bedtime, and then me and Autumn having time to watch. You know, fitting in our movie schedule, depending on what time Violet goes to bed. I was like. I'm pretty sure this is like I know I know it's I know it's not an hour and a half it's an hour let's say like an hour and forty one so it's not bad at all but it goes by like this movie moves it's it's well paced it kind of gets gets you right into it and it's and it's 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 like a it's very um it's in it, it knows how to get a moment like it's it's got some good t- like sweet moments but and it, it it's it knows I really think this movie's a really a, a amazing example of timing comedic timing but also like all the other things that happen like i need, i gotta you know I, i'm sorry i brought you into this dave and then it's in you know get that little brief moment of seriousness and then there's a joke so the, you know, you're you're back into it it really structures itself really well i can't honestly i really can't say enough positive things about it uh in my opinion like i said i mean some people these days younger audiences might not find it you know uh appropriate some of the things or whatever but I mean, uh, let's talk about some of the trivia. Oh, this go ahead. demographic shows that mostly young people are rating it higher than the oh, older wow. people. So, yeah, on IMDb, you can break it down by age. So, under 18s rated a, for what look at it, 7.3. So, oh, wow. Well, I'll look males anyway. Females, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> Almost a whole point difference there. But, yeah. 
But seems to be that, what, that's only, even. But eight. how many ratings is that? Like six? Was it say? I can't. Not a lot. Numbers. Not a lot of young people have watched <laughs> it. But even eighteen to twenty nines, though. You know, seven point one versus forty five plus a six point six. So, uh, yeah, it skews well, younger. I, I'm willing to bet those older ratings are the pearl clutching language people. Like, oh, oh, it's. I found it very funny, but that language was. Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, well, even 30, 30 to forty fours gave it a six point nine. So, yeah. Well, it just go. I give it. I give it a little higher than that, but yeah, <laughs> not to spoil that part. But, but yes, yeah, so, like I, spent, I kind of. There's not too much trivia, but I did kind of. I, I kind of jumped ahead on several things. But uh, Gene Wilder went to the New York League for the Hard of Hearing, which the name of that place sounds like a joke to me. <laughs> <laughs> the League for the Hard of Hearing, like why isn't it, isn't just the New York's, you know. Counsel for the deaf or something. I don't know. I'm, I'm being facetious. Uh, to study for his role, there he was assigned to a speech pathologist named Karen Webb. Now, Miss Karen Webb would eventually become Gene Wilder's fourth wife. Because wow. uh, at this time, while he was filming this, Gene Wilder, in case you don't know anybody out there, he was actually married to uh, Gilda Radner at this time. Uh, Gilda Radner from SNL. Uh, and of course, she died tragically of ovarian cancer. Uh, went to remission and came back. Uh, and, and she actually died not too long when we get to the Back to the Future segment after this movie came out. Uh, but Wilder met Karen Webb while re- re- uh, le- researching for this role. And then eventually, after Gilda Radner passed away, he would he would come across Karen again. And they hit it off and they got married. And I believe they stayed married till his death uh, several years ago. Wow. Uh, and as I mentioned, uh, to prepare for his role, Pryor went to the Braille Institute in Los Angeles, a much more realistically named institution where he was taught, quote, cane technique, which is the correct way a person who is blind uses a white cane. And he visited classrooms to reserve mannerisms of the blind students. Now, <laughs> you know, Matt, you know, blind students, you know, I wonder when Richard Pryor came to observe them you know, to see, did they announce a uh, class? We have a very special guest in the audience today. <laughs> You know, because uh, being facetious, here, they're blind. They can't see him. Did he just right. come in there and sit? And they did, you know, and they never knew that Richard Pryor was in class one day. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but uh, along that tangent, you know what? I, I wonder if if Chappelle got his bit about the uh, the KKK guy who's actually black from Chappelle's show, right? From the the, op- the opening of this movie in the subway, where uh, the uh, the yeah. sisters come like sit down. He's like, "What do you mean?" And she says, he said, "I forget what she says." Like, "What do you mean I'm black?" I'm black. And he stands up and he starts screaming like it's it's I mean, it's so funny, you know. Does and, Dad know? Yeah, oh God, yes. it's so funny. It's so funny. God, cracking up, man. Like seriously, it's so funny. Like if if you if you love comedy, comedy comedic movies, and haven't seen this, what go, stop? Go watch it right now, please. It's so well done. But uh, because Pryor is a huge, you know, one of Chappelle's biggest influences. So I wouldn't uh, I say he's copying, but, you know, I mean, took it, you know, hey, that's a good that's a good idea. Here's a different take on it. A different spin on it. Uh, but of course, it, uh, as I mentioned before, when the movie was released, it had mixed to negative critical reception. It was a comic duo's last financially successful film as a screen couple. Their next film together, 1991's Another You, was a box office failure as well as a critical one. And it was their last collaboration, unfortunately, which, again, I haven't seen that one either. I can't speak to its strengths or weaknesses, but I definitely want to check it out. Uh, and I, th- I noticed this, too, but Kevin Spacey has that weird cyst on his cheek. That was actually real, and he had to get it removed after they finished filming. Hmm. So it's not like a character choice to have a that 
protruding thing on his face. That was actually <laughs> on his face because, you know, they knew he was a creep or something. I don't know. Uh, and like I mentioned before, Gene Wilder, he initially was really uneasy about doing the film, despite the producers making changes to accommodate for him. He was worried that it would mock people with disabilities, but uh, he changed his mind during his research and meeting with actually actual deaf people. They would tell him, like I mentioned before, you know, people with handicaps do have a sense of humor. And the film did inevitably upset some people. He was encouraged by letters from people who said they thought it was a nice change to see people with disabilities as the heroic central characters as opposed to being mere background characters. You know, and I can see that, you know, Mm -hmm. now did they cast an actual blind person or a deaf person as they probably would want to today? No. But, I mean, it worked for this movie. And, you know, I, I personally believe that, you know, in a film you're having actors... A- a- actor's jobs is an actor's job is to act. So now I'm not saying if you're doing uh, the Richard Pryor, Pryor biography and I was jokingly saying you don't get Anthony Hopkins to do it. You know, you don't do that. I'm not saying that. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff about like, oh, and, and it is important. Like uh, for in Hawkeye, the uh, that's an uh, Echo is a Native American deaf character. They got a Native American deaf actress to play her and she was fine. Uh, you know, sometimes that works. You know, sometimes you can you can you have somebody who can do it. You know, in a very small demographic to pull from, you can find somebody that you know, casting wise, can work in your film. Mm-hmm. You know, there's you know, uh, who was it recently? Uh, somebody was playing somebody who was Jewish, and Sarah Silverman was upset about it. Right, she was saying uh, the Jew face thing or something like that. Yeah, which. Uh, again, I, again, I have no skin. In, I'm just giving, you know, when you're casting for a movie and, you know, actors play, you know, you've had straight people play gay people. You've had gay people play, play straight people. Uh, in Tropic Thunder, you had a dude playing a dude trapped inside of another dude. You know I mean? You have, uh, you've had white straight guys play homosexual, transsexuals. Uh, you know, I mean, you, it, you've, I guess that's the more common one that you, you typically have. Uh, you have Scarlett Johansson playing, you know, in Ghost in the Shell. There was a huge, like, oh, it's whitewashing because she's playing an Asian character and it's Scarlett Johansson. Well, you're completely wrong because any, if you've actually read or watched the OG Ghost in the Shell, her con- it's an Asian consciousness in a Anglican body, basically. So it's correct for the movie. That's why in the movie, her mother is Japanese and she's like talking to her because the robot body isn't representative of the consciousness in it. In case you didn't know. But anyway, what I'm getting at is that like, you know, there, there are some things where, you know, let an actor act, let them do their job. If, if the, if the, if the, if they think that they're right for the role, and I'm not saying you don't look, you know, if you're play if you're casting for a blind and a deaf person, you don't, you don't not audition people, you know what I'm saying? But if you're looking at a vehicle for certain actors, again, Everybody, please understand in this world, like, I'm, I, you know, I want nothing but everybody to be happy and to be represented, represented and everything like that. Don't get me wrong, but the, let's, let's also be honest here. In the world that we live in, the only thing that makes a difference in this world is money. That's what's going to decide who's going to get cast in something nine times out of ten, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so... I don't know where I got off on this tangent, what I was trying to say as usual, but I've said a lot of different things and I think they're all kind of valid. And if I'm wrong or ignorant, please let me know. It is visited at gmail.com. But anyway, all I was getting at was that, you know, uh, Oh, the, uh, the, you know, 
this is a film where you have people with disabilities as heroes. They save the day despite their disability. And as from my perspective, I find it pretty tasteful. You know, I don't, I don't nothing like kind of rubbed me the wrong way uh, for the most part. You know, it's not like when we watch, you know, one of my favorite movies of all time, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and they say the F word. And I'm not talking about the one that, you know, I'm not saying talk about fuck, the one that I can say. I'm talking about the F word I can't say. And I won't say, uh, you know, because, oh, that's what they, how they talk back then. Yeah, people talk that way back then, but it doesn't mean it was right back then any more than it's right now. Anyway. Whoa! Wow. Okay. Again, I'm lost again. <laughs> I just I, I just go down a rabbit hole and I just. Uh, Where was I? I blacked out for a second. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I just I, 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 I blacked out when my mouth kept moving. I don't know. It's condition. I, I don't know what the, this condition is. But anyway, all I'm getting at is that you know uh, in a because I was talking. I'm looking back at the notes where I was reading. Uh, you know, you had these heroic central characters with these disabilities, and I think I think they portrayed them well. Uh, you know, could a blind person, a deaf person, have done these roles? Absolutely. Would they have had the chemistry and the comedic ability of Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder? It is absolutely possible, but let's be honest. This was a iconic screen duo that I think is that you. I don't think you have anybody with this much comedic chemistry that that played in multiple movies. You know, that had such a relationship with each other uh, in cinema historically. So let me get on to another topic here, so, mm-hmm. I, so I can keep things moving. Uh, but this is what I found funny. You know, there was a lot of controversy about supposedly about, oh, we don't like the way they're treating people with disabilities in this film. Uh, But after attending a screening, upper management from the Braille Institute disavowed any connection to the film. They turned down the offer of proceeds from the opening night, which instead went to another nonprofit providing services to young blind people. The reason was they objected to the film's language, not the portrayal of blind (laughs) people. It was the language. And again, this movie is R. Like... Mm -hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm shocked they even could fit a you know, it's a good thing it was an hour and one minutes because they probably needed to cut at least ten to fifteen minutes of language. Like just cut it out because there's nothing you can't do a Mr. Falcon or anything like that on half of this stuff because it's so you know, when the camera's right in Pryor's face and he says fucking because he's so uh, uh expressive, you don't have to be deaf to know what he's saying, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Kevin Spacey and John Severance were actually cast in the film because they, due to their chemistry together on the television series Wise Guy with Ken Wall from 1987. I remember that because my dad watched that show and I thought it was so cheesy (laughs) even then. Uh, But of course, the movie's title was derived from the Three Wise Monkeys proverb, which everybody knows see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. And as such, they only use the first two parts because A, I guess, you know, a title that long. It's a little too long. B, you need a third person. But, I mean, honestly, let's be honest. The, the only reason to leave it off is so you can have a sequel, mm-hmm. which obviously you can never have a sequel now because uh, uh, that would have been perfect, obviously. But uh, they kind of – they did think about it as something possible, but it was arguably less accessible to audiences when there's a character who can't speak. Well, they so, just have to be super yeah. expressive. <laughs> yeah, like – I mean, like miming. You have to get Marcel Marceau or somebody to – uh, <laughs> act it out. I mean, you know, that, that's a that, physical comedy. Yeah, you have to have a Jim Carrey at that point, you know, like, uh, right. uh, and <laughs> in that case, it probably would get a little, uh, I'm sure that would have crossed the line. Somebody, <laughs> oh, you know, uh, noises. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so, maybe a bit much. <laughs> yeah, but uh, <laughs> score wise, I give it a 7.5. I give it higher. I, I I do think they, you know, again, uh, got to be critical. You know, I don't want to just throw out eights all the time because I, I typically, most of the movies we review around here, I'm very positive on. 
obviously. So I'm, tr- I'm trying to be a little more critiqueful of a modern score. Uh, so I, today, uh, I give it a 7.5. I, I would give it higher, but I do think there's just a it moves very good. But I think you could probably streamline this film a little bit more to make it a smooth 90 minutes. And you would not you you might actually they probably added the 10 minutes of filler. So you 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 can you have time to stop laughing to catch the next joke. So I'm not faulting the movie for anything like that. But I do think in like watching it today, you might be able to nip the pacing a little bit here and there, make it a, a smooth 90, 95 minutes. And it would do nothing but help the film. Uh, not that there's any parts necessarily cut out for the most part, but I think you could, you know, I think you could one more pass in the editing room, I think would have been fine. Yeah. Uh, and that's the only real critique I can give it. Like, uh, you know, I would, I would like, honestly, I'd like to give it an 8.5 cause I think it's that funny, but again, I need to, I, I need to contain my, I need to bring the ratings a little, you know, be a little more diverse with the ratings. Cause otherwise it's going to be like Daniel, you know, oh, I like, I give it, I give it a seven, I give it a six. And I'm always like, I'll give it an eight. I give it a nine. <laughs> so I'm trying to, I'm trying to be a little more, uh, diversive with my, uh, Scoring criteria. Well, you could just say your scoring goes to eleven. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our scores go to eleven. That's uh, a, is, that, wait, is that seventy eight or is Spinal Tap eighties? No, it's seventy. Or is it like the okay? That's what I was like. It's got to be late. It's got to be like seventy eight. It's got to be late seventies though, right? Because it was Rob Reiner. Like it was. Oh wait, uh, eighty four. Damn. Okay. <laughs> that's gonna happen soon. Wow. I don't think that was seventies. I guess it just no, feels I, I, like a seventies movie. It absolutely does. Like, and that was my first inclination. Like, I didn't, I didn't think it was A's. I thought it was like that tail end of the seventies, kind of like uh, Silver Streak. You know, it was like I think seventy eight, something like that. So, yeah, I always thought it was like late, late, like you know, on the cusp. But it's not. No, wait, didn't we cover it? Didn't we do Spinal Tap? Oh gosh, shit! <laughs> We're I don't at that like, point. <laughs> I know, like legit. I have to go to. Uh, Thankfully, Ben Wyatt went to Letterboxd and put every episode we've ever done, every movie we've ever done in order. And I constantly have to go back to that to just to double check. I don't think we did. Uh, I don't, I don't think. think I, I know I've watched it like in the past couple, like few years, though. And it seems like if I would have watched it, it would have been for the podcast. It, oh, you know what? I think I watched it because we got on a Christopher Guest kick because uh, Autumn had never seen Mighty Wind or Best in Show. No, no, it was because Netflix had that new one, new, that new movie his out with mascots yeah. a few years ago. It would have came up uh, in a Google search, so it didn't. So. <laughs> yeah, okay, so that'll happen soon. And we can, as soon as I can, we'll rectify that immediately. Well, not immediately because we already got the the next yeah. few episodes lined up, but that will happen soon because love Spinal Tap. I'm actually, I'm, I'm shocked. I swear, if I if I if it was a BuzzFeed quiz, I would I would have said uh, said yes. Eddie's risen has done it. <laughs> in hindsight, in hindsight, now being reminded that it is in the '80s. But uh, Jesse, what would you give it upon? You're you know literally like you know supposedly a first uh, pretty fresh watch for you. Oh uh, yeah, I gave it a seven. <laughs> Sorry, Daniel. Thanks again. <laughs> Why are you here, Daniel? <laughs> Go back home. We don't need you. Glad nah, you re- really, I had a seven in mind uh, prior yeah. to that. You know, because it was enough that I enjoyed, but I saw enough fixable moments as well. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. One part that really confused me was when they were pushing the car into the swamp. I'm like, oh, yeah. So you're telling me they got this thing off the barge. <laughs> <laughs> off of a thing that was already going in the trash. They could have had this yeah. whole, whole conversation on the barge <laughs> and then just, you know. Forget yeah. about the car thing. It, it was very strange. I honestly could have just cut from the barge shot of the car sitting in the barge where they go over yeah. it, where you reveal that they're on it, just to the next shot of them going back to the payphone. Yeah, it's like they dumped they're, it twice. <laughs> they dumped it once, yeah. and then they dumped it again. 
<laughs> maybe there's some there's other scene there or something. I or, think so. I think there's something missing. That, or yeah. or it was an alternative. It was almost like they pushed, they filmed the barge, not the barge thing, the swamp part, and then decided to do the barge thing or something. It's weird. Oh, yeah. Maybe the car know. went into the swamp. It was supposed to go into the swamp. But then, well, how did the cops not find him? Had they have to get away? Had to get away on the right. barge or something? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Who Strange. knows? But yeah, that's that's a very very good point. And that's a perfect thing they could cut to trim it down to a crisp ninety minutes. Yeah, and then but, you uh, could tell they did rear projection for the chase scenes. Oh, yeah. That didn't really take me out of it because I knew it was a comedy. It's supposed to be silly. Yeah. Um, well, honestly, the first shot where they had it looked really good. It, to me, it was the second when it cut back to them in the car. Yeah. It was blatantly rear projection, like really, like right obvious it's like shaking like crazy whoever was yeah, filming that projection <laughs> had a really shaky hand because it was just all over the place <laughs> yeah absolutely but I'm, I'm glad you liked it uh i really didn't know if uh, i would assume you might have seen it before or at least heard of it so uh i feel confident in my belief of this film now that you've seen it and pretty on this uh pretty much on the same page for it yeah but in the real world this film released again May twelfth, nineteen eighty nine. On May twelfth, and it actually between May twelfth and May twenty fifth, you had the San Bernardino 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 train disaster, mm. which is about an hour from me uh, here in Ventura. Uh, to the Southern Fr- uh, Pacific freight locomotive SP seven five five one East, it derailed in a residential area of San Bernardino, California, killing four people and destroying seven houses. So I mean, this thing went off a track and just. Wow. It's a miracle only four people die going through seven houses. Uh, and then on May 25th, as a direct result of the derailment, the Calnev pipeline exploded, killing an additional two people and destroying 11 more houses and 21 cars. Dominoes. Just <laughs> crazy, crazy. And uh, funny enough, too, uh, again, May 12th is when the movie premiered. May 11th, the day before... Little baby Cam Newton was welcomed into the world May uh, May 11th, 1989. And then three days later, another football all-star was born, Rob Gronkowski, hmm. uh, May 14th, 1989. So you had two uh, very, very uh, big-name football stars of the past few years uh, born to, within just a couple of days of each other. And then, unfortunately, as I kind of mentioned earlier, this came out May 12th. On May 20th, eight days after the premiere of this movie, uh, unfortunately, Gilda Radder lost her battle with ovarian cancer. And uh, uh, if you get, again, I recommend you go to Wikipedia and read about you know just Richard Pryor's life. It's again very interesting. Gene Wilder, same thing, reading about his his life. And uh, there was a documentary. I think it was called Dear Gilda or something like something like that about Gilda Radner. Uh, saw it not too long ago. Very very sad. Very uh, you know she was in the SNL cast. Really loved her. The OG SNL cast because uh, that's where you know that's where she became really famous on SNL uh, and unfortunately passed away much, much too soon. But again, uh, we are covering this as part of our cover or uh, celebrating black history month. And as I mentioned, first thing in the podcast, Richard Pryor is undoubtedly one of, if not the greatest stand up comedian of all time to me and at his level, the only other person you could put up there is Carlin to me. Uh, I'm not a stand up God to where I know everything about everybody stand up, but those two are, I mean, as long as one of them's one and one of them's number two, I'm not going to argue with you. Countless, countlessly influenced numerous of comedians across his lifetime and even till, still to this day with his humor. Well, Richard Pryor, a little bit about him. 
Uh, he was born in Peoria, Illinois in 1940, and he died in L.A. in 2005. He grew up in a brothel ran by his grandmother. He had an incredibly tough childhood. Again, read the Wikipedia article. I don't want to go too much into it because I want to talk about like the, the, you know, his, uh, his achievements. Uh, he served in the Army from 1950 to 1960, and he actually spent a lot of that time in the Army jail. <laughs> and then after he got out of the Army in, uh, in 60, he started doing stand-up comedy, and he was inspired originally by Bill Cosby. But Bill Cosby was very kind of clean, for the most part, very personable, much like his character on The Cosby Show. That's what kind of endeared him to people until we learned what he was doing off camera. Uh, but uh, it was then in, uh, let's see, in, in 63 is when he started. In, 60, in September of 1967, uh, Pryor has what he described as an epiphany in his autobiography, Pryor Convictions. Nice little play on words there. He walked to, uh, into the stage of the, onto the stage of the Aladdin Hotel in Vegas. Dean Martin was in the audience, a lot of people there. He looked at the sold-out crowd and exclaimed over the microphone, what the fuck am I doing here? And then he walked off the stage. Afterwards, he began working profanity into his act, including the N-word, which was a big thing that he, again, look at his uh, discography, you'll see what I mean. Uh, very, very, like, coarse language, uh, but that was that was new at the time. And it, it went, you know, you, you talk about dark humor. I said not that he was necessarily dark humor, uh, but, you know, like, a lot of these days, like dark humor is very like, eh. but uh, he like he was such a pioneer for that dirty humor. And it did have a little bit of <laughs> the dark side, so to speak, uh, in terms of some of his comedy. But he was not above poking fun at himself either. More on that when we get to the 80s uh, with his freebasing accident. But in the 70s, he began to write for TV. He wrote for Sanford and Son, the Flip Wilson show. He won an Emmy for a Lily Tomlin special. He, Like I mentioned before, he co-wrote Blazing Saddles. But again, the studio wouldn't insure him, so he couldn't play in it. And in 1975, he was a guest host on the first season of SNL. And Richard Pryor was the first black person to host Saturday Night Live. And go on YouTube and look up, just search Richard Pryor SNL. Uh, the Word Association skit is hilarious. Check out, my, one, of, one of my favorites is The Exorcist. It's so funny. I don't want to spoil anything about it, but Richard Pryor and, another, and I'm not sure the other cast member's name uh, or basically the exorcist <laughs> and it's so parroting the exorcist. And I swear to God, it's one of the funniest things. Uh, one of the funniest parody type things I've ever seen in my life. And then, uh, the Richard Pryor show premiered in, on NBC in 77. It was canceled after only four episodes, probably because the television audiences didn't respond well to his show's controversial subject matter. And Pryor was unwilling to alter his material for network censors, uh, which good for him. Again, that's, that's very, uh, that's very, uh, you know, today he would be on HBO Max, no problem. AMC Plus, whatever. You know, back then he was pushing envelopes. Back then he was an innovator. You know, bringing you know controversial subject matter to the audience with his comedy. Uh, and in '79, at the height of his success, he visited Africa, and upon returning to the United States, he swore he would never use the N word in his stand-up comedy routine again. And that brings us to the '80s, which is, of course, what this podcast is all about. And while he was making stir crazy in the '80s in 1980. Uh, he was on a freebasing binge, and he doused himself in rum, which I had a little bit of last night, and he set himself on fire. Uh, that's all – I have the autobiography, I guess, I have a little more info on that, but that's all Wikipedia goes into detail about. And he incorporated a description of the incident into his comedy show, Richard Pryor, Live on the Sunset Strip, which I think was on Amazon, actually, or uh, Netflix. I know uh, one of them had several of his stand-up specials on there. 
So be sure to check those out too when your kids are in bed. Uh, but he joked that the event was caused by dunking a cookie into a glass of low fat and pasteurized milk, causing an explosion. Uh, but at the end of his bit, he poked fun at people who told jokes about him by waving a lit match and saying, "What's that? It's Richard Pryor running down the street." Uh, so again, he's, he was never, you know, a good comedian can make fun of themselves too, and uh, I think that's a hallmark of a good comedian, I should say. And before his horribly damaging freebasing incident, which if you watched Hear No Evil or See No Evil, Hear No Evil in HD, you can clearly see the burn scars on his neck, uh, scar tissue on his neck from uh, his accident. Uh, incident, actually is what they call it online, not accident. Uh, he was about to start filming Mel Brooks' History of the World Part 1, but he was replaced at the last minute because of the accident or the incident by the also late and also great Gregory Hines. Uh, in 83, he signed a five-year contract with Columbia Pictures for $40 million, and he started his own production company called Indigo Productions. He was also originally considered for the role of Billy Ray Valentine in Trading Places, which we just covered not too long ago before Eddie Murphy was cast. Uh no doubt Pryor would have killed it, uh, but I think I think that role was really uh, – I think casting Murphy was much – was probably the better choice, uh, especially with Aykroyd. You know, now if you had Gene Wilder playing that part and Trading Places was a Wilder-Pryor joint, hell yeah. Uh, as it is, I think uh, how it turned out was just fine. But again, if he was in it, I mean, I have no doubt it would have been just fine. Uh, despite his reputation for constantly using profanity on and off camera, he briefly, briefly, excuse me, briefly hosted a children's show on CBS called Pryor's Place. And it was similar to Sesame Street. It had puppets uh, hanging out, having fun in an inner city environment uh, with several characters and with children and everything and uh, characters that Pryor played himself. Its theme song was performed by Ray Parker Jr. of Ghostbusters fame. However, it frequently dealt with more sobering issues than Sesame Street. And was canceled shortly after its debut, which is, again, ahead of its time, I think, because, you know, one of the things I've learned when you have a child is, you know, you want to protect them from things. But, you know, again, Violet's only three, so I still got, I still got so much way to go. But even now, you know, certain things when she's talking about it, like, you know, she said, what is it? You know, she her us, me and Autumn talk about, oh, like, uh, you know, Bob Saget died. Like, what is who? what is died? You know, it's like, oh, uh, well, they're not here, you know, not. So, you know, you got to. <laughs> I guess what I'm getting at, you know, kids need to be subjected to some things. I'm not saying they need to be subjected to Pryor's language and talk about freebasing. That's not what he was doing uh, on the show. But I mean, you know, you talk, you got to talk. You know, kids are fucking smart, man. They, they, you know, you can't, you can't just, you know, disregard. Oh, they're a child. You know, talk. Hello, little baby. How are you? No, talk to a child like you talk to a person. They're fucking smart, man. I'm, I tell, I'm telling you. But anyway, so it was canceled unfortunately shortly after its debut. He co-hosted the Academy Awards twice and was nominated for an Emmy for a guest role on Chicago Hope. Uh, on the Academy Awards, they warned him about his uh, profanity. And uh, after an early slip in the early in the show, they instituted a five-second delay when returning from a commercial break. Pryor is also one of only three SNL hosts to ever be subjected to a five-second delay. Uh, the others were Sam Kinison in 86 and, hey, yo, Andrew Dice Clay in 1990. Uh, and then in the 90s to the 2000s, later in his life, uh, he uh, prior developed uh, multiple sclerosis, uh, you know, also called MS, which prior said to him stood for more shit. Uh, he would frequently have to use a mobility scooter. And his last film appearance was in none other than David Lynch's Lost Highway as the auto uh, garage uh, auto repair garage manager Arnie. And then in late December 1999, he had his last television appearance, which was. 
on the Norm McDonald show. Rest in peace, Norm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all these funny people, man. Who's going to make us laugh anymore? Uh, he played Mr. Johnson, an elderly man in a wheelchair who had lost the rights to an in-home nursing home when he kept attacking the nurses before he attacked Norm himself in the cold open of the show. And then unfortunately, on December 10th, 2005, just nine days after his 65th birthday, Richard Pryor suffered a heart attack in Los Angeles and passed away. Uh, he was taken to a local hospital, and after attempts to resuscitate him failed, he was pronounced dead. Uh, however, and this, you know, this makes me smile, uh, but his widow, Jennifer, was quoted as saying, at the end, there was a smile on his face, which, uh, that, yeah, that's, that's fitting. You know, I can see, see that in the movie now. Because, uh, again, read the Wikipedia article about his childhood. Dude had it really rough. You know, very tough life. And again, as they say, you know, usually the people who are the most funny are the ones dealing with the most shit. And he certainly dealt with a lot, a lot of shit. It's like that Pagliacci thing story. You know, I am Pagliacci. Uh, But Jerry Seinfeld called Pryor, quote, the Picasso of our profession. Uh, Bob Newhart heralded Pryor as, quote, the seminal comedian of the last 50 years. And Dave Chappelle said of Richard Pryor, quote, you know, those like evolution charts of man. He was the dude walking upright. Richard was the highest evolution of comedy. And through his lifetime, Pryor was honored with five Grammys, one primetime Emmy, the first Kennedy Center Prize for American Humor in 1998, the Writers Guild of America Award in 74, and on comedy, both Comedy Central and Rolling Stone's lists of greatest stand-up comedians, on both of those lists, he was number one. So, as I stated before several times already, in my opinion, absolutely one of the funniest stand-up comedians, if not the funniest that ever had the privilege, we ever had the privilege of being able to listen to uh, during his time on this planet and made some damn good movies too. Uh, and like I said, it was my, imp- my impression of him of a kid was just like, Oh, what a great guy. He's so nice and sweet. And even, even watching, watching his stuff now, even knowing, you know, his dirty comedy and a lot of the stuff he went through off camera. Uh, Cause you know, you never meet your heroes cause nobody's perfect. Uh, still, like watching this, like he's still lovable. I mean, he's he's profane, but he's you still want to hang out with him. You know, I would go have a beer with Wally. He's just there's just there's, he's just he's so there's something about him that uh, I think that comes through in terms of his true. I am not gonna. I shouldn't have said you know. I'm, I might be projecting, mm-hmm. but you know, I just feel like you know. There's some actors when you see them, and then you know, you hear like, oh, they're really kind of an asshole off camera, blah blah blah, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but to me, there are certain actors that I don't know. I, I, I just really feel like, despite all the shit you might hear about them, they're still like really good dudes, good people. I really feel Richard Pryor was one of those, based on you know, just his how he comes across. You know, and he would tell, he tell he t- in his comedy he told things like it was, and nobody was telling it like that, and that was innovative. You know, and it was a really you know, in hindsight, it's such a big. It's a shame that you know, he went so soon before, you know, he'd just really be. I mean, he got he. I mean, he got his. He got a lot of honors. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, I don't know. It's just too soon, you know. Norm Macdonald, same way, you know. Gene Wilder, same way. I mean, you know. But I mean, we're everybody's getting older. That's the problem. Mm. Yep, <laughs> that's the problem. Uh, you know, so can't stop. But Richard plot. Pryor. Yep, no way to do it. But missed every time I watch one of his movies. It's just like God. Same thing when I hear a Bowie song. It's like God. No more. I'll get another one of these again. Mm. Uh, so you know. Appreciate all the people, <laughs> all the stars and entertainers that you enjoy now. Make sure you appreciate them and go see them while you can before, you know, they die before Comic-Con in a week and you don't get to get your picture with Princess Leia. 
So anyway, hats off and an 80s revisited salute to Richard Pryor, probably the funniest human being that ever lived on the planet. So rest in peace, kind sir. Back to the future this week. I haven't seen I, I'm the one that hasn't seen anything. Uh, ha, uh, season finale of Peacemaker was last night. Haven't watched it yet. Uh, just been so busy because uh, me and Autumn are moving to Utah in like two weeks. One, wow. Three weeks. Uh, wait, one, two, two and a half weeks, excuse me. So, but it's, we've been in that, you know, we're, we we just got the place reserved. You know, we got all that done, got all that, that the U-Haul reserved. So all the pieces are now in place. Now we have to pack. So now, it, like, to me, it is official and worth announcing. Like, this is actually happening. <laughs> we, moved to, we moved to a little town called St. George. It's like literally right past the border of Arizona, an hour and a half from Vegas. So instead of being an hour from L.A., we're going to be an hour and a half from Vegas. Uh, mainly just moving a... The schools out there are really good, and Violet's about to start school. Mm. So we're looking at you know future proofing as best we can. It's an up and coming area, uh, and the housing out there is much better than <laughs> California. <laughs> to be perfectly yeah. honest, uh, for example, the house we're living in now it's fine. I mean, the closets are really fucking tiny, mm. and it's an older house, but it's like being appraised for like seven fifty. And we just bought a brand new house as big as this. You know, with views of mesas in the back mm-hmm. for six hundred thousand. So, uh, you know, it's just yeah. That's the main. I mean, main re- number one reason we were looking for a new place was for Violet School, and then upon looking and the fact that me and Autumn both work remote, we can go anywhere. We want to kind of stick out to this area of the country, but live somewhere a little different. That's a little more rural. Uh, you know, they have a Target. They have to have high speed internet in St. George. Has all that, <laughs> but also it's a, it's right next to two national parks. We're able to drive to the Grand Canyon, drive to Zion, Salt Lake City is like three hours away. So it's it's, it's more desert, and I I personally have always liked the desert. Uh, every time we visited, you know, Joshua Tree, other national Death Valley, I just like kind of the quietness and peacefulness of the desert environment. So should be nothing but fun for us. Might delay a couple episodes of the podcast, maybe, but we'll see. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. not. We could put but, out some uh, mini episodes or something. I mean, if anything, we might just miss one week. We're moving on March 7th, so we might miss that week, depending on when we get everything unpacked and internet hooked up and all that. But shouldn't disrupt it too much. Uh, But, yeah, so no emails, nothing like that this week. Oh, oh, sorry, back to the future. Yeah, I didn't get to see anything. Uh, The Super Bowl happened. There was uh, some good commercials. Halftime show was great. I really enjoyed it. I really – no, actually, what I really enjoyed – was the generational gatekeeping going on yeah, everywhere? No I was gonna about say, like, yeah, us millennials finally got our Super Bowl show. Like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm Gen X. That was for me. You were like seven when the Chronic came out, and it's like, like, wh- who cares? Yeah, who cares? Like, wh- what is going? Like, if you like that music, it's for you. It's not a generational thing. Now, of course, kind of. I mean, it became that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it absolutely did, and, and there is a degree. Should like be. my parents you know, didn't care for it, but not for any other reason. They, they, they'd never listened to that kind of music. When I grew up, I mean, the chronic, when that released, boy, that was a big fucking deal. Everybody yeah. had a copy of it, you know, driving out of school every day. in what? 96, when 90, whenever it was mid nineties, I'm pretty sure. Uh, maybe it was 97. Nah, uh, 90. I'm going to guess 96. Um, this was released 92. The chronic. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, see, there, yeah. Even, there you go. So, now, but of course, I mean, Dr. Dre's been around for a long time, even before that. Yeah, like Snoop's uh, album came out in 95, I think, or 96. Yeah, you because, know, I mean... No, 90, 94 or 95. It, was, it, wasn't too, it wasn't too long after that, because 
It seems like because you had uh, nothing but a G thing, and then uh, what was the other big hit? Oh my god! Oh, ninety three! Wow! Oh, real wow! Just one year. Mm. Yeah, they move quick. So yeah, you know. Uh, so if you want to be if you want to be technical, it is more Gen X in terms of the yeah. age who could, the age of people who could actually go to the store and purchase it without getting having their parents purchase purchase it. <laughs> now that doesn't mean now Eminem. What Eminem was late nineties because uh, I was still in high school. I think I think uh, Marshall Mathers was maybe ninety seven, maybe ninety eight. Because I remember like kids in my school getting their head shaved and getting their hair bleached because Eminem. Slim Shady LP was ninety nine. Oh wow, that's crazy. So yeah, that was right when I was. Yeah, uh, tail end. You know it, it, the thing. But anyway, what I'm getting at is it doesn't matter. That's like saying I can't listen to the Beatles because that was before I was born. That's bullshit. No, whatever music you know, that's my generation. Yeah, that was that. You know, the music you grew up with was kind of like the music your generation grew up with. But there is no rules about who can listen to music. Mm-hmm. You know, get the fuck over it. You know, if, if if you need that to make yourself happy, that oh yeah, this was a halftime show for me. That's you know, sure if that makes you happy, but it's for everybody. If you like that music, and if it's your first time being subjected to it, and you like it because of that, that's fucking awesome, man. You know, when you two performed the Super Bowl, I was over the moon. A lot of people don't like you two for some reason. I don't understand. I don't know why people don't like you two. Not saying their modern stuff's as good as their old stuff, but I'm just saying, like, it's, <laughs> like my favorite band gets so much hate, and like, oh, they're so, like, oh, they're, they're so has been. Well, not really, but you just don't like them, which is fine. That's fine. You know, but uh, it's like, uh, last who was it last year? Like, J-Lo, I think, you know? I didn't give a shit. I mean, I, I watch every uh, halftime show. because The weekend. They're always a big, oh, wait, I love his show. What was, it was J-Lo? It must have been the but year yeah, before. Yeah, like, I do J-Lo. remember... Um, like Shakira, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, that was two years ago, I think. Okay, yeah, because I was like, I don't, you know, I watched it. I don't care for J Lo's music. I don't care for movies either, except Anaconda. If you want to know the truth, <laughs> so not a fan. She's talented. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying anything that, but I don't, you know, I don't, I don't keep up with her her tracks. Uh, you know, so but if, if it doesn't, my point is, people who the same people who say that the Gen Xers who are like. You know, and honestly, what's crazy, this is the first time I've seen like Gen X be involved in an argument like this, because <laughs> it's always like boomers and millennials you kind of see, you know, and it's always, the you know, and the meme is always the boomers are boomer argument millennial and then the, the Gen X are sitting there sipping their tea kind of meme. Mm-hmm. So this is like the first one. So I guess the Gen Xers are getting old enough to be crotchety like the boomers were. <laughs> so it's going to be Gen X versus Zennials now. I don't know. All I'm saying is, don't gatekeep music. Music is for everybody. Doesn't matter when you were born. If you like, you know, that's like me saying, like uh, some millennial, like wearing a Nirvana T-shirt, like, "Why are you wearing that, punk? You weren't around when grunge happened. You don't know the impact of hearing those original notes of Smells Like Teen Spirit for the first time and have your mind awakened." Well, actually, that that kid might. They might, they might have heard Smells Like Teen Spirit and be like, "Whoa, I love this band." Like a lot of us did in '91. You know. There, everybody in, in your life, you're gonna have musical touchstones. Like when I was a little, real little kid, for example, record players were still out. I had a record player when I was a child, and when I, and I, I listened to my parents' music because my records were all storybooks. Like you know, back in the day, in my day, you go buy a book of uh, a Disney movie like Fox and the Hound or Alice. Uh, Alice I'm trying to, you know, what was another '80s, <laughs> early '80s Disney movie? <laughs> Winnie oh, the Pooh. It would come with a. It would come with a forty-five. Those are the smaller records, the size of a dinner, pl- a little less than a size, like a salad plate. 
for all you kids that don't know. Actually, probably everybody knows now because vinyl's back. Uh, and I had a record player that played 45s and regular ones. So I listened to my books and, you know, you put the record like The Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. And like when you hear this sound, turn the page, mm-hmm. and listen to your records. So I had, but my parents had records. So I, my mom had Elvis and that kind of stuff and some beat in the Beatles. My dad had country music. So, but as a kid, one of my, one of the first songs that I remember like listening, I, I, I literally one day brought my record player downstairs and listened to just put on all the different records of my parents just to see what struck me. And the two, for the two first songs that ever, like that I can categorically say, like, these are two of the first songs that I ever just like blew my mind. Like as like listening where rhinestone cowboy by Glenn Campbell and thriller by Michael Jackson, you know? So, but now of course I'm eight or six when thriller comes out. Cause I was, Thriller was like what eighty maybe eighty five? It was early eighties or mid eighties. Uh, be early. No, Thriller was early eighties, wasn't it? Thriller, yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Maybe eighty three, maybe. I'm I'm bad with dates. Like that's my, that's if I ever if there were, if there was a game show called like what's the date? Eighty two. I would eighty two. Okay, I knew it, I was figuring it was early. You know, so now I was two years old when it came out, but I'm like. Three and four listening to the record. So is it you know was it, it's technically not your generation because you're not old enough to you know no it doesn't fucking matter you know uh, I remember the first time hearing uh, I was gonna say God of Thunder but that's, that's Kiss um, not Ride the Lightning uh, Master Puppet excuse me mm-hmm. I was like what the wow this is damn this is awesome like you know my Metallica Metal Metal Metallica you know I mean. You, you know, everybody's going to have those certain, you know, groups that come out when they're young. You know, when we were young, the biggest thing to happen when we were young, well, born in that 1980, you had hair metal and you had, you know, the next big thing was grunge. And and, and then also concurrently in the 90s, you had grunge on this side and you had gangster rap starting in the late 80s, you know, running concurrently, you know, almost parallel to it. You know, two huge movements in music, uh, revolutions, uh, evolutions of music at the same time. You know, so bottom line is, this is back to the future segment, not a soapbox. <laughs> mm-hmm. It doesn't matter when you were born. If you like this artist or this song, awesome. That's great. I'm happy for you. If you don't like it, that's fine. Don't block people out from listening to good music. That's fucking stupid. Don't argue about it online. Argue about, you know, the fact that people are starving and Russia might be going to war with Ukraine, might be on the verge of World War Three. Mm-hmm. You know, argue about that the real world shit. Don't argue about what uh you know what a Zennial or a Gen Xer has on their iPod uh iPhone or their playlist. I mean, for fuck's sake. Jesus Christ. But uh anyway, Jesse, we're still in the back <laughs> of the future segment. Is there anything that you did new this week? Or saw um, this week? I started playing Lost Ark, which is an MMO a lot of PC players have been getting into. Uh but that's is about that, it. Uh, it's is like that a, the one that like Oh, it's, go ahead, sorry. it's it's like a, a lot of people compare it to Diablo, um, mm. but it's an MMO. It's actually was out in Korea in 2019 and out in Russia, and it just now made its way to the West. So now, huh. and it, they grossly uh, underestimated how popular it'd be. Like there's over oh, a million wow. players already, and like it, it was having server issues in the EU. So a lot of EU players haven't been playing. Like the launch in US has been pretty decent. I haven't really had any huge complaints. Just a queue every once in a while, but that's not a big deal hmm. when it comes to MMOs. is it the uh, is it the one I, I saw like a blurb like it's like the second most played game on Steam or something 
Like it's right now, yeah, probably. Okay, because there was something uh, when you said that. I, I knew I know I just heard something about. It. Is it is it like free to play or like you know like uh, yeah, it's free to play. Okay. Um, and it really doesn't take that. It's not graphically intense, like. Um, but yeah, it uh, it's really good. And if right now I'm in the process where it's playing kind of like a uh, just a solo story, but it has some great moments in it. Like they really take advantage of the locked camera by being able to move it or like when it moves around, it like means a lot more when it breaks away hmm. from where it lock locks in. And then they have like, there's some huge battles in it where it feels like, what's the, what's the big battle from Lord of the Rings two? the, uh, uh, Helm's deep. Yeah. Yeah. Helm's deep. There, there's a fight in there. where I'm like, I feel like I'm in the battles for Helm's deep. Like, wow. It's, it's, it's really, really good. But, um, huh. you know, longevity, I'm not sure. I I don't know if I'll ever regret playing it because just experiencing the storyline has been really mm. good so far. So once I wow. get through all that and then it becomes more grindy, maybe I'll be like, all right. It was just a fun experience. But right now I'm having a good time with it, so I'm going to keep playing it. Oh. Well, damn, it sucks for me because Horizon Zero Dawn or Horizon Forbidden West comes out like in – Six hours. So it's like, right on. Uh, this well, past that, week that I've will been, end. You know, whereas Lost Ark just keeps yeah. going and going. Yeah, and it's free, so yeah, like, it's I'm free. gonna definitely check that out. Uh, also, it's kind of good. I guess I'll give it some growing pains time. So when I do yeah. get around to it, I'm actually on a West Coast a server cool. too. I didn't join. Oh, it. interesting. Uh, yeah, it's called Mari for those out there. So, yeah, see you there. <laughs> yep. Eventually, like, seriously, because like, because uh, it sucks, because. Uh, Cyberpunk just got its next gen upgrades yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, starting, you know, I just kind of dove back in and got some rewards and stuff. And all that. I was looking forward to kind of maybe going through another playthrough with that on PS5. And it's like, oh, well, you know what? Uh, looking at my timer here on my pre order of Horizon <laughs> Forbidden West, I got 10 hours to go here. So, I uh, guess I'm not going to do that. Yeah, Cyberpunk yeah, didn't keep my attention. I could, every, every time I'd log in, I'd be like, what else is there to do? <laughs> I'll tell you right, like the story is fantastic. Like it's, yeah, uh, I guess it just hasn't like launched, just hasn't started. I guess the story mm-hmm. for me yet. I mean, every, I mean, of course, everybody's taste different is different. Uh, like I know one of our friends like just didn't like because the aesthetic, which mm. I I love the aesthetic. I mean, it's fucking Blade Runner, you know, and Matrix. Yeah, I basically. think it looks great. Yeah, you know? and you know, playing it's fine. Uh, part of it's also my fault. If I take too long between plays, then I forget how mm-hmm. to actually play the game. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because when, when I log by, uh, when the update came out, they reset all of your abilities. So like, I'm like, 74 ability points. I don't even remember what I fucking put anything into and what I need <laughs> to even play the game anymore. You know, I had to go online and just like get a build, like balance build, because <laughs> oh, I forgot man. where I put all my stuff. I wish they would have like mentioned that before so i could have at least like screenshotted it or something <laughs> so i knew how i had my character built i mean i remember as i was looking i was like oh yeah i know i had this i know i had this but uh i know a lot of people you know the game was has been crucified practically for uh since it came out for a variety of reasons some justified some not uh you know but i mean cd project red i'm not gonna say they can't do anything wrong but i mean they've they have not stopped making this game better and better and i played a, I, I my first playthrough was on ps4 pro 
And mm. I had, you know, I only had maybe I had three lockups. I want to say because I was I was really trying to keep track of it because of all the hype, of, all the people saying it was unplayable. It wasn't. Again, I was on a PS4 Pro, not a base PS4. Uh, there were plenty of sites that said, okay, go to your settings, turn this off, turn this to this, and this to this, and you'll it'll look better and it'll run better. Uh, now, you know, should the developers have maybe defaulted to that to begin with? Sure. Uh, but personally, like I, I absolutely had nothing but fun with the game, and the story is so good. Uh, but again, if you don't like that, you know, it's called cyberpunk. So if you don't like the cyberpunk aesthetic or, you know, kind of the things that you can imagine that you do in that world, like, you know, Deus Ex, like hacking and all that kind of stuff, it's not for you, which is totally fine. Go play The Witcher. They're about to release new DLC for The Witcher 3, by the way. Can't wait for that. Uh, you know, so I have nothing but faith in CG, CD Projekt Red when they're doing something because they're still, you know, they're still working on cyberpunk. And I think it's a gorgeous, gorgeous game. The combat's great. Uh, it's it's a, to me it, it's a, it is an evolution. De- the Deus Ex series I think is one of the most underrated series in gaming. Uh, the OG on PC masterpiece. The second one that was like I think Xbox, like original Xbox I think exclusive or maybe it was on PC too. It was fine. It wasn't as good as the first. But then like the Mankind Divided and Human Revolution on PS4 and Xbox I believe. Xbox, whatever that one was, the one after Xbox, Xbox Two, whatever that one was, three sixty. <laughs> there we go. I knew yeah. it was. Sad. You know, PlayStation had it right. You know, one, two, three, four, yeah. five. Everybody else is. Order. Yeah, just some new code name. Like, no, just fucking just numerical works so well. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, the, the the Deus Ex games, Human Revolution, Mankind Divided, mwah, amazing fucking games, uh, and. Yeah, so Cyberpunk. When I when I first heard Cyberpunk was announced, like the Wit- CD Project CD Project Red is doing a game, a Cyberpunk game. Turns out it's called Cyberpunk, but I was like, hell yeah! You know, we got The Witcher, a masterpiece of fantasy. Now we're gonna have something a futuristic Blade Runner s game. And like I said, you know, I know it's it's not for everybody. It's like Death Stranding. Death Stranding is one of the greatest games I've ever played. If I had a top ten list of best games ever, Death Stranding would be on there. A lot of people might be saying, "Whoa, Trey smokes crack." I want that game. Death Stranding is one of the greatest stories of any game ever. Uh, but however, I understand the gameplay is not for everybody. You gotta have a little bit of, uh, what is it? Compulsive clean, you know, like feel like they're like, like compulsively clean, clean or straighten things. What is It's not ADHD. OCD. What is it? OCD. Yeah. I knew it was like something with a T at the end, <laughs> you know, cause the plot of Death Stranding, you're, you're basically a delivery guy. You know, like, oh, you're just gonna, I'm gonna go walk over here. Now let me go walk over here. Well, as you're doing it, you're rebuilt. Like, it, it's directly intrinsic to like the philosophy of the game. It's a Kojima game. It's Hideo Kojima. It's Metal Gear. You know, it's 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 deep, a little too deep for its own good at times. I'm not saying it's not, but I mean, you know, as a gamer, I, I, I don't. You know, my brother works on Call of Duty. I don't give a shit about the newest Call of Duty, except the fact that him and my sister-in-law work on it. You know, and I want to play it for that. I don't care about those games because it's the same shit over and over. Here's a World War II coat of paint. Here's a future coat of paint. Here's a modern warfare coat of paint. <laughs> Here's a whatever coat. You know, it's the same fucking game. Uh, you know, so that's why when something different comes along, like Death Stranding, where there's com- there is combat and the combat's fine, and you really got to think. You know, you really feel like you're in a post-apocalyptic environment, and you have to you have to think consistently about what you're doing. Uh, you know. And that's a bug thing. Like, you know, Breath of the Wild, which people regard as the greatest fucking game of all time, which I don't get it. 
Uh, great game, don't get me wrong, but I mean, you know, oh, your weapon break, uh, your weapon breaks. I love that. And Death Stranding, oh shit, my stuff broke. That's fucking stupid. It wasn't stupid in Breath of the Wild. <laughs> Actually, I thought it was. It was. Oh, I hit, I hit this fucking thing with a got with a stick five times and oh, broke. Breath of the Wild had some of the most annoying inventory management of any game I've ever fucking played. Sorry, and I'm not sorry. Not sorry. Like you know, I like Zelda. It's not the greatest game series of all time to me. You know, there's a lot of nostalgia there with Legend of Zelda. Ocarina of Time is one of the greatest games of all time. Don't get me wrong. But in Breath of the Wild, okay, funny, like, my, my, here's my perspective. Here, sum up my argument in a nutshell. Breath of the Wild came out right at the same time as Horizon Zero Dawn. And I played both of them. I had Horizon first. I, that was more, I was more interested in a game where you hunt robotic dinosaurs than a new Zelda game. That's my perspective. Horizon was amazing. The first one. Can't wait in mere hours to play the sequel. It looks fantastic, and thank God I got a PS5 in time so I can play it on PS5. Uh, you know, and then I play Breath of the Wild. I'm like, oh, this is it's. Uh, I like the look of it. Nothing wrong with that. I'm like, what? The, Jesus Christ, this broke. Oh, they go grab another weapon. Oh, sh-, you know, which uh, that's a fine mechanic. Okay, that's fine. Doesn't mean you can't streamline and make it more fun. But uh, you know, but meanwhile, you know, Breath of the Wild. Oh, this is amazing. Oh, Horizon is a Zelda clone. Yeah, but it's more fun to play. It looks cooler. It's way more fun. Story is arguably better. That, well, I, I would say the story is better than Breath of the Wild because Breath of the Wild, same old Zelda shit. I don't hate Zelda. <laughs> don't hit me. Don't send me hate mail. It's just I'm just not a, a Zelda stand. Sorry, you know. And honestly, I'll never forgive Ocarina of Time for taking all the Game of the Year awards in what '98, '99 uh, over Metal Gear Solid, which mm. is still so much bullshit. Metal Gear Solid deserved Game of the Year that year over Ocarina of Time, and I played them both. And that's just my opinion. I've been rocking the time once when it came out, and then again on like the remaster on GameCube. I've beaten Metal Gear Solid twenty times on PlayStation One. Just I, that was the only one of the few games where like I had so much fun just speed running it. Like I'm just gonna play it again and just <laughs> so much fun. One of the greatest games ever made. Uh, mm. And so was Ocarina. Don't get me wrong, but some publication should have the balls to give it to Metal Gear. Ugh. Still pisses me off. <laughs> so I guess I do have a, I do have a little hate for Zelda after all. Not talking shit about them. They're, they're great games, but I think they're a little, they're they're, they're overrated. They're they're great games that are overrated. In my opinion. Year oh, Horizon. It is. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, like oh, the new the Horizon Forbidden West. She has that parachute thing, just like in Breath of the Wild. That does, you know, Zelda. You know, you have it in Fortnite too. Before Zelda Breath of the Wild came out, Zoom. You know, so don't say oh, Zelda. You know, don't say Zelda created half this shit. Now, Ocarina created a lot of stuff. Don't get me wrong, innovated it. You know, but just because a Zelda game did it and another game does it too, doesn't necessarily mean they copied it from Zelda. You know. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Zelda's not as good as you think it is. Sorry, it's not. Play more games. Play more games. And if Zelda's your favorite series. I'm not going to disagree with you. That's fine. It's, uh, opinions make the world go round. And they also bring the world to the war, which we're probably about to have on the Ukrainian border. Hopefully not. But anyway, okay, let's end this. <laughs> Email us at 80srevisited at gmail.com. Facebook, 80srevisited podcast. Instagram, 80s underscore revisited. That was the only one I could get that made any kind of remote sense without <laughs> adding some numbers in there. Yeah. Uh, and also check out our friends Cajun Toy Review with John and Lafayette and of course the BAMcast with Ben and Tasmania Championship Wrestling with Doom Slayer and see what he's doing. He's up to over there. And of course, Jesse, if you need more Jesse, which we all do, iHeartBoardGames. Uh, Jesse, what's all the info for that? Twitch.tv slash 
heart board games. We leave the I out because there's no I in board games. Ah. Also, we couldn't get it. <laughs> that, yeah, that <laughs> Isn't that funny how that works out? Yeah, there is That's an I heart board games and like they had zero followers whenever we made the account. And now over the years, I think they've gotten like 20 <laughs> just from accidents. <laughs> Accidentally, yeah, exactly. Because I think I always say I heart board games, not just hard board games. Yeah. I might have done that. <laughs> On YouTube, we're I heart board games. Oh, okay. So. Never mind. Gotcha. Stupid so, fake. Check that out. Any uh, any new big game, any uh, big board game releases coming up soon? Anything like that in terms of the world of board games? Um, we just wrapped up Clank Legacy, which uh, was a excellent uh, game. We're going to put that on YouTube soon, and then we're oh, starting cool. Sleeping God soon, which is a really popular game. Um, but yeah, a lot of people are still playing Gloomhaven and all this other stuff. So yeah. Hmm. If you know board games, gotcha. you know all those names. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. All right. And that leaves, that's enough for us, I guess, this episode. We've assaulted your eardrums enough. Hope you learned a thing or two or three. Next week, we'll finish up our uh, Black History Month tribute to uh, Black-led films of the 80s with Beverly Hills Cop 2, which also kicks off. It's a dual purpose. It's a sequel. It's a number two. It has two purposes. Black History Month, last episode of February, but also starting our sequelitis series so next week <laughs> we'll be back visiting axel foley in beverly hills cop part two right here on 80s revisited until then i hopefully will remain trey harris jesse sedgley cowabunga This show and more on Facebook.com slash AwesomePods. And follow us on Twitter at AwesomePods. Pods.